Welcome to the PropTech Podcast. It's Kylie Davis here, and I'm delighted to be your host as we explore the brave new world where technology and real estate collide. I passionately believe we need to share and grow a sense of community between the innovators and real estate agents, and sharing our stories is a great way to do that. Now, the aim of each episode is to introduce listeners to a PropTech innovator who is pushing the boundaries of what's possible and explore the issues and challenges raised by the tech and how they can create amazing property experiences, especially in these strange and unusual times we're living in. Now, my guest in this episode is James Deersley from Unisu. It's a global platform that helps real estate agents procure the best technology. Now, James is an international expert on prop tech and is based in the UK, which as we all know, is a few weeks ahead of Australia on the COVID-19 curve. So I wanted to get his views on what the impact of the virus has been on the UK property market so far and how he sees it affecting prop tech globally. Now this is a pretty far ranging interview and it goes a bit long, so sorry about that. We cover everything from how COVID-19 is making us re-appreciate our homes and being home, the impact that it's gonna have on the funding of prop tech and James's fantastic vision for democratizing access to education around technology. So here to share with us the future of PropTech in a post-COVID-19 world and force me to reveal some extraordinary secrets about my own past, James Deersley, welcome to the PropTech podcast. Thanks, Kylie. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, After everything that's happened, we finally made it even we, just to a webinar. I, I, so this is a, a, an indication of the new normal, isn't it? Is that when you sent me the message to say that you had to cancel or, or, or postpone our second hookup that we tried to connect because you had to go gross, uh, to go shopping, it was completely legitimate, completely under... I, I looked, read your, or your message and just thought, fair enough, like that is truly a big deal right now. <laughs> And I did the same thing this morning. I've never had to do that before in my life, but I just went, I've got to go. 6 a.m. in the morning, I had to go to the shop because by 8 o'clock in the morning, they'd be all sold out and it'd all be gone and there are a one-in, one-out policy. And I'm going, I've got to be honest, Kylie, I've gone shopping. No, 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 completely understand. Um, I did the same thing today and I came home with um, paper towel. It was like (laughs) major victory. It's mad, right? Like it's, it's, a unique, it's a unique social experience. And, you know, no matter what we're about to talk about from a, from a business perspective, you know, these are fascinating times. And I tell you what, I would love to be sort of a young teenager looking at psychology and sociology and all the impacts on society and how we're changing and evolving and developing. And, yeah. you know, this is a unique experience, which we will look back on when we come out the other side and just look at and analyze human behavior, which I think will be fascinating well you know how you do those those memes and all that social stuff that goes on at the moment where you look back at the 80s or the 90s or the 70s and you kind of joke about the hairstyles and all the all the kind of trends that were going on there I just kind of throw forward and wonder what we're gonna how we're gonna be looking back at this time in that way it's gonna make toilet roll is gonna be in there for sure oh it's it's gonna make some great memes um but anyway, let's get let's get let's get back on track. So, so James, you are the CEO and founder of Unisu. Tell us about. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not clever enough to be the CEO. Just to ah, be clear, okay. but I'm I'm a co-founder and CCO of the business. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And so, what's the Unisu elevator pitch? 
Uh, so Unisu, it's a prop tech procurement platform. Uh, we recognize that there's a serious need for the real estate industry to be procuring technology solutions. Um, and that, obviously that is a, a vast, vast market. And we recognize there was no one really out there who had curated every single prop tech business um, around the world into one place and had the knowledge and the experience to enable the real estate industry to do that automatically and to find the right um, solution for their problem. Right. Too many people get doors knocked saying, we can solve, we can solve your problems. Um, ultimately, we're the first people to actually say, no, 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 let's reverse that. Let's have the property industry saying, this is the problem we have. Uh, can you solve it? So we are the prop tech procurement platform. Very cool. And so, look, where on earth does the name Unisu come from? So uh, my co-founder and I were very, very hungover, um, <laughs> sitting in a cafe uh, in in the lovely south of France, and he will tell you that we just miraculously came up with a name because we were still probably slightly drunk. Um, but in actual fact, uh, in genuinely fact, we we sat down and just said, "Look, what are we trying to do?" And we listed a couple of sort of adjectives to pull it all together. Um, and the first one we realised was that because no one had actually built a global database of prop tech companies to sort of start that journey into the procurement side, we needed to unite. A load of different lists from all over the world. And there were venture capitalists who had their lists of businesses. There were prop tech associations who were fledgling at the time who had their little sort of unique local list. And we were uniting all of them together. Um, the double S in the middle stands for being the single source uh, of truth of prop tech data and information and research, which again was one of the things that we recognized there needed to be a global um, sort of uh, setup for somewhere to be the home for prop tech. And the U was probably the hardest bit of it all, which is when we were trying to unite all these different lists together and, and sort of build this database, there was no real uniformed structure of analysis. You couldn't compare a, an, an Aussie prop tech with an English with an Argentinian prop tech mm -hmm. uh, because everybody analyzed prop tech completely differently. So we sort of started with a definition of what we felt prop tech was. We were very transparent about what we felt was and what wasn't. Co-working is not a prop tech business. Some people feel mm -hmm. it is. It's a technology-enabled real estate business in our mind. And so that's really what it is. So it's uniting, single source, and uniformed. Oh, that well, that's really helpful. I might be able to spell it correctly now. <laughs> now, knowing that story. <laughs> with a with a double F, not a double U. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I am I am guilty. I'm looking at my notes and going, oh, okay, better correct that. <laughs> so, so, so look, let's talk about prop tech in the time of COVID nineteen now. You guys recently held the Future um, Connect uh, webinar, like online TED Talks sort of uh, events, and, and they were 100% digital. And for me, the first time that kind of COVID became real was when all of the events that were scheduled around that actually got were, were cancelled. Yeah, there's a conspiracy theory that uh, that Eddie and I invented COVID nineteen just to prove that Connect could work. I'm pretty sure Netflix, Zoom, and um and Facebook <laughs> are in on it. <laughs> yeah, especially Zoom. <laughs> oh man, Zoom is crazy, right? And the, the multiples yeah. of revenue they're trading at is uh, is nuts. But um, yeah, I mean, so just you know, in in that sense, um, you know, Connect is it's actually it's not really a Unisu thing. It's you know, we, we've developed it to be deliberately non-UNISU, but it's a collaboration between us and, you know, at the minute, uh, 13 different partners around the world. We're looking to increase that to being sort of 25 to 30 partners uh, where we, um, as you say, you know, we have keynote speakers like yourself, Kylie, going to film studios and recording 
keynote speeches uh, you know in the very highest quality because we're just a big believer that you, you have to be able to democratize the ideas um, and share those ideas so that you know somebody in the very southern tip of Chile or the very northern reaches of Finland has got the same access to the education and the content from you know, this, this new wave of real estate um, models and technology that somebody in Paris or London or Sydney has got because ultimately mm. you know Conferences are, are wonderful things, um, but I think they're ultimately elitist in the sense of they're very expensive. Um, even if you're in Sydney for a Sydney conference, the prices you pay for a conference are prohibitively high, especially for you know somebody who's new into the industry um, and they've got to dedicate a lot of time and money to come and learn. And we just felt that it was fundamentally important that we democratize the access for those in the industry to access the very best speakers, but also at the same time, you know, the likes of you, Kylie, who, you know, I know how influential you are um, down under. And yet, you know, probably somebody in Argentina has never necessarily heard of Kylie. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, the ideas of people like you really got shared with others to give you a platform. So it, it's really a, you know, Connect is a collaborative platform for speakers and partners to get global attention for their thoughts and ideas. And at the same time, democratizing that access so that it's free for everybody. That is absolutely fundamental. People must learn from others, irrespective of where they are in the world, because it's only when those ideas are shared does everybody, and this is the key point, the, the next entrepreneur in the property or prop tech space should be from the very southern tip of Chile. They, they shouldn't just be in an epicenter of New York because that's where all the learning is coming from. Yeah, you know, in this exactly. world of digital access, anybody anywhere should be the next entrepreneur. And that's what we want to try try to facilitate really yeah um and and it was great fun to be part of it although i i'm still too scared to watch my video um what <laughs> how did you how did, how did you uh, how did you find it because it's it's hard i hated it i hated it so i um i am not i am i love presenting on stage i really struggle in front of a camera i have a deeply traumatized a teenage childhood story around being on camera, which <laughs> I'll tell you another day. Oh, um, oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, I'll tell you now because our listeners will be wondering what's going on. But when I was 12 years old, I know, when I was 12 years old, I loved singing like all young girls do and I wanted to learn to sing. And um, there was a show called Young Talent Time, Young Talent Time, which was um, like kids on stage um, or kids were, you know, would sing at this variety hour thing like you used to do in the sort of late the early 80s and um, yeah, don't, I, don't give that away don't no give that away. no no yeah I'm just being careful there and and so what happened is that I went for an audition because they had a, a spot available and I got uh I got through the first round I got through the second round I got through the third round and they said I was going to do a screen test and I was supremely confident my mother was deeply unhappy with me for going and it was a day in Melbourne when it would have been about 42 degrees and being 12 years old and being very untrendy um they said you know just wear casual clothes like just you know your jeans or something uh, your jeans and a shirt and I interpreted that very literally and went and borrowed a shirt of my mum's that was very see-through and wore jeans and so when I got on camera um, I was hot and sweaty and saw myself on camera and completely froze and uh, Danny Minogue got the gig <laughs> and that is a true story <laughs> 
So, yeah, I know. So, yeah, so I did have a little moment, James, in front of the camera where I just said, oh, God, what am I doing? Anyway, we shall move on. I expected, I expected, I expected Connect to be a lot of things, but not a sort of a, a therapy session. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was just a reliving of the trauma. <laughs> there was no therapy. <laughs> but let, let me just say one thing, which I find fascinating. And, and I know this from, you know, like, like you, Kylie, but, you know, sort of being on the stage and, and speaking. And when you're on the stage speaking, you, you do get a sense of the audience and, you know, you, you do enjoy the audience interaction. And you should be able to partake in sort of some banter to and throw with them. And, and, and you get a sense of, of how they feel you're doing as a speaker. So you're getting instant feedback. And obviously there's a vanity and an ego thing around that, um, of course. When you're dealing with a camera, it's a completely different sense because there's a there's an openness and a vulnerability that you have as a speaker because you, you don't get that sense of instant feedback. Mm. So when you're on the stage, you can adapt and evolve what you're talking about. When you're doing to a camera, you can't. So unless you know your material completely, unless you're so comfortable in your knowledge and expertise about that particular topic, you get undone. And nobody else does it other than you. Yep. You are the undoing of your expertise. And so that's, that's why it's quite um, fascinating. And, uh, and I think when Connect 2.0 comes out in October, with sort of hopefully 30 to 40 cities, depending on the number of partners we get, you know, I think we'll see a massive ramp up in, in the style of the speeches and also in the, in the quality of the actual speaking, because people will now see how others have been. Yeah. Um, and hopefully not many of them will have haunted memories of being a 12-year-old. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah let's hope well let's hope I'm I'm catastrophizing anyway but look let's talk about let's talk about COVID-19 and how you're seeing it play out on the global prop tech market what are the trends that you're seeing what are you it's it's really tough because you know we're we're seeing I mean I'm speaking to a lot of prop techs obviously as part of my my day job and I'm really seeing a mixed bag in the sense of you've got some prop tech businesses who've recently been funded and are therefore well capitalized and they've got product market fit. And as a consequence, you know, they're scaling their business, they're in scale up mode and, and, and they are incredibly happy that they've escaped this uh, catastrophe that we're seeing in front of us. And so, you know, on the more mature side, when they're well capitalized, I'm seeing a lot of relief. I'm also seeing a lot of pain um, and, and that's, you know, not restricted to a, a geography, a city, uh, a technology. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of pain and worry and concern uh, simply because in a lot of those cases, if a prop tech hasn't quite got product market fit yet and they are still in that testing and iterating phase where they're trying to work out, you know, they've got a cool piece of tech but they haven't quite got that application yet. And so they're in that whole testing mode. You know, there's a whole other pain around that because, you know, suddenly um, not only is capital dried up. So, you know, if uh, businesses are in the middle of that fundraising period, I mean, there's just no capital for them. Mm. Uh, and if there is capital for them, there is a whole raft of very similar businesses in similar technologies going after that same bit of money and, and the investors in, you know, really in the driving seat there, if indeed they're, um, deploying capital at all so you've got one side you've got the investors who are really have got the keys to the to the vault and never more so than now but on the other side if you've got prop techs who are actually quite well capitalized because they've run investment rounds but they're still looking for product market fit you, you've now got this slight quandary 
And I, and I say it's slight because in, on one hand, you've got the real estate market that's sort of ground to a halt a little bit. So if they're trying to work on tests or um, you know, run feasibility studies with real estate firms, the, the real estate firms just aren't trading. And as a consequence, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for them to, to get those testing sessions out. Um, but the sort of the silver lining on that is a lot of these real estate people who perhaps some of these prop tech companies are looking to interact with um, or are in conversations with, you know, there's an element now of time. Yes. You know, we are starting to see that some of the real estate professionals have now got more time than they ever had because they're at home. Um, and, you know, they're sitting there with much more efficient timescales. And therefore, they're able to sort of give the time and, and the thought process to these companies. So, you know, if PropTechs have access to people, there is a lot more feedback available for them, which is another interesting mm. side of it all. Mm. But, you know, someone has said to me, you know, what, oh, what's the difference between, you know, South America and, and Africa and Europe? And, you know, surely there's a difference. And, and the thing is, there's not. And this is the uniqueness of this situation. Every single one of us is in exactly the same situation. Yeah. And that is so strange and so unique in the sense of all phone calls start off with exactly the same thing. How are you getting on? Are you okay? Yeah. Never has there been a more empathetic audience than there is at the minute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's just pause there for a moment and hear a quick word from our sponsors. As we all know, the problems of the world can always be solved with good company and good wine. And for a truly great wine, check out Smidge Wines from the McLaren Vale in South Australia. Smidge Wines has been rated five red stars by the James Halliday Australian Wine Companion since 2017. Whether you love a big, bold Shiraz, a beautiful, well-rounded Cabernet Sauvignon, or a Montepulciano, a Tempranillo, or a Fiano, check out smidgewines.com. Sold exclusively online and proud to be official wine of Australian PropTech. So do you think the pandemic is helping or hurting the adoption of tech in the real estate sector? Um, is it helping or hurting? I think uh, ultimately it's uh, it's helping. Mm. Because, you know, and this is where there's a geographical difference. Because if you look at, you know, why did we why did we start up as a business in the first place? We started because we realized there was going to be an adoption from every single real estate company in the world at some point using technology. Yeah. In America, in Europe, the adoption was slightly faster. They're in the sort of the, the starting point of technological adoption. It's a seven to ten year process in terms of understanding mentality, understanding the, the competitive business models, understanding change, and then ultimately implementing technology. But that was the US and Europe. It was at the start of the journey. And that's where we felt Unisu was well-placed so we could help them. What we also realized was the likes of some, you know, sort of um, further flung economies were going to be slightly later to the game in the sense of their education of, you know, what technology meant. You know, take Africa, for example, and the many times I've been out there. You know, prop tech to them is just making sure that they've got a bloody Wi-Fi signal that is constant. (laughs) And that they've got connections into their homes. And and we laugh, but that is their serious point. You know, the innovations are fundamentally simple. It's, can I have a computer system to run my CRM on? It's not what CRM, it's what computer system do I use? So, you know, there was always a disparity between developing and developed worlds when it came to prop tech. What we're now finding in current situation that we've got is... Everybody is grouped together. They are trying to find technological ways of doing their business. And it doesn't matter that you're based in Africa or America. The whole nature of connecting with people to try to facilitate business decisions, 
everybody is doing the same thing. Mm. So all of a sudden, this whole, you know, the regions of the world are bunching together in trying to adopt technology like never before. Yeah. So I think it's accelerated growth in developed worlds. Of course it has. And I think this whole resistance, and, and let me just explain that in the developing, in the developed world, you've got the friction between intention and action around technology is a mentality thing, which yes. is we don't need to do anything differently because um, we're okay at the minute. Thank you very much. So the mentality has mm. shifted to Christ. If we're going to do what we've always done, we've got to adopt technology in the developing worlds. The mentality has always been there. You know, we want to progress. We want to change. We want to fail and find a new way of doing things because that's the way that we've always done it. So in their cases, actually what the pandemic is doing is hastening the adoption through to more infrastructure and sort of a, a physical aspect of the technology, not the mental aspect of the technology. So everybody's bunched in at the same time. It's a fascinating sort of melting pot of adoption, which we will see what happens when it all... Um, hopefully and eventually subsides. I think we'll be mm. a to totally different industry when it when it happens. Yeah, I, I I think you're probably right. Do you think now before you talked about the the you know the the cashed up or you know the highly the the, the prop techs that have got good investment sitting behind them and those that are are, are are struggling the kind of haves and the haves nots of the of the of the cash world, I guess. How do you think what's going on now is going to affect the arc of prop tech and the arc of of development? Because it was, you know, the the sector was going at such a cracking pace. Do you think that's going to slow down, or how do you think that's going to shake out? Um, I think there's going to be an, an inevitable slowdown. Um, something again that that I, I think we've discussed it before. We've always said there's going to be a consolidation of the sector. Yeah. Um, you know, in certain industries, there has just been a crazy amount of um, uh, of sort of development around this. And, and in a lot of places, you know, people have been very critical of prop techs and saying, you know, it's it's solving problems that simply don't exist because you've got technologists who are coming into the property sector who don't understand the property sector, but they've understood one small aspect of their own personal journey in, I don't know, renting an office or selling a flat. And therefore, they're creating solutions to problems that don't exist. So, you know, I, we've often said um, that there's going to be consolidation. I think we're going to find that now. I think there's going to be an awful lot of failure. Mm. And, you know, not necessarily because their business model has failed, but just because they've run out of capital and it's gone. Yeah. And they don't yeah. get the opportunity to explore their ideas. And, and that's it's going to be a shame. Um, and I think that the traditional real estate market should be a little bit upset about that. And I, I do think there is no better time for the traditional real estate market to, you know, take a look at the arc, as you put it, that was happening beforehand to realize that ultimately it's not going to change the adoption. And there's no better time than now for the traditional markets to start looking at the, the arc within the arc, as it were, to look at the different technologies and the different models that were being created, to, to ask itself the question, we've been screwed by COVID-19. The way that we operate our business has been completely messed up. So how are we going to adopt a technology or a methodology or a business model that will safeguard us in the future to sort of, um, you know, <laughs> let's call it flatten the arc as we're sort of flattening the COVID-19 yeah. <laughs> spread um, to sort of stop that sort of crash as it were 
do you think do you think this was the do you think in the real estate space that this was the the crisis we needed to have to get more or to get more traditional real estate operators to embrace technology I mean, it is virtually impossible right now in Australia to conduct a real estate business if you have to only be in your office with other people sitting on a legacy system. Oh, yeah, come on. And look, please tell me that uh, story we, we did just before because this is all getting a bit serious and I want you to talk <laughs> um, Come on. That, uh, that fascinating example, because you know the answer to this and, and you know, that uh, example you gave about the legacy systems was, was a fascinating one. Yeah, well, what well, what 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 a a handful of friends and I uh, in the in the tech space all took a look at what our platforms were doing in terms of where our users were using us from, and the integrations that we were being asked to do through CRMs and things like that. And we ca- and we came up with a number that was, um, you know, as, as good as we could get, which was at about sixty five percent of our users were running us off desktop platforms and in fact a good proportion of those were running us separately to crms or had like minimal integration because their crms wouldn't integrate so so what we see in that is that the industry has you know and and when you compared that to market share of some of the the legacy crms um because they had dominated for a long time you could see that um that the majority of the industry is using old quite old technology to do its day-to-day work and a little side note which we didn't get to talk about is that actually the biggest crm in the in the space for for quite a while has actually just been bought by um one of the more modern newest ones and is now being going to be cannibalized to to upgrade everybody that's on that system so i think we will see you know stronger adoption generally into cloud-based stuff but um but yeah, well, maybe, and maybe that's maybe that's the answer, which is, yeah. you know, what we're what we're going to see as a stepping stone. You know, do I think this is the answer to absolute mass adoption and acceptance of of technology use? No, not in a million years. Is it going to be a stepping stone into propelling it forward? Yes, you know, things things that people understand are going to be now accelerated. So, you know, take the growth of. Um, I don't know. The, the easiest one that comes to mind is, you know, 360 degree virtual viewing platforms. Yeah. Yep. You know, there is a raft of how do we implement this in our business today because otherwise we're going to fail. And so yeah. there is a need and a must that they have to sort of implement that. And that's commercial retail and, and resi um, have adopted that very quickly. So that's your first stepping stone, which is there is a need for that right now. And I think that will continue because they will now, that resistance between the intention and the action, which I keep on coming back to, is going to be absolutely gone. You know, do I need to be physically in a building to show somebody around? Absolutely. You don't necessarily. And, and my point has always been there's a fundamental inefficiency within our real estate industry. Mm. And, you know, that some things like that are such a no brainer because there's little or no cost involved. Um, it's good for both sides. It's, an, it's a very efficient process of and I don't think the buying or leasing of buildings will necessarily happen because of a virtual viewing. But I do think the process of speeding up those that are definite no's will be wheedled out, which will save on all time for everybody to go and view the houses they want or definitely go and view the offices they want. And it means that we're all more efficient, both on the real estate side and also on the, on the client side. 
So that's the first stepping stone. The second stepping stone, you mentioned CRMs. Again, absolutely. Now, these legacy systems which aren't set up for a new way of working, there's going to be a process before the widespread adoption, which is going to be, okay, we need to take a long, hard look at our systems and work out how we improve them. So the real estate industry is going to have to review this period of time with an absolute fine-tooth comb to work out what can we do better because the market's going to change and then that adoption of certain systems will be uh, far faster. Whether that be legacy systems or not, I don't know. Mm. Um, you know, There's a lot of trust, and, and what we're seeing, especially from a procurement side, is when you've got larger real estate firms looking to procure technology solutions, often they look for established businesses which have got good cash flow, which have got good systems, which can you know help them and support them. And they sort of veer away from more growth or agile-based businesses. And we're quite lucky to have something called a Uniscore, which allows us to um, sort of give a community-driven metric on how well um, adopted and how innovative a certain solution is, which allows us to guide the real estate companies to say, you know, this is an established business or this is a growth stage business. And what I think we might find is we might find the risk profiling from the larger real estate companies dropping slightly out of that more, we must have an established business to actually, they probably don't suit our way of working now. So let's look at slightly newer, more growth businesses or you know, very well adopted and innovative businesses that we can take in. So I think we'll, we'll move that sort of CRM needle will be a little bit more, um, you know, businesses will take a bit more of a risk profiling. But then there's more sort of deep tech, um, which I do think will take still take time, you know, the AIs of this world, because they are not frontline real estate services. They are going to be needing of a lot more understanding, a lot more education um, before they start getting adopted in, in use cases. So it, it will speed up adoption, but it won't be everybody at the same time. It will be a stepping stone over the next couple of years, but it will definitely speed up. Yeah, it won't. I, I sus- it won't be mono. Um, the speed that it goes at, it's going to depend what sort of sector you're in. So I reckon the UK is probably about three to four weeks ahead of Australia in terms of um, COVID nineteen um, issues. What? How is how's the real estate market affected? How's it been affected in the UK? Like, what have we got to look forward to? <laughs> She says, laughing from stress. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't, I can't give you the absolute detail simply because I'm not on the front line anymore. Um, mm. And I, if, if I'm brutally honest, Kylie, I'm quite pleased I'm not. Um, mm. You know, I think one of the things that we're definitely seeing is that the portals are being absolutely slammed. Mm. Uh, from a residential side, let's let's focus on that. Well, in terms of volume, but actually, well, in volume in which way? Transaction volume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So from transaction volume, yes. But funnily enough, you know, what I would call property porn is, yep. is huge at the minute. You know, people are stuck inside and they want to look at um, different properties. And so, you know, the feedback we're getting, and this isn't just UK, but European wide is, you know, viewing figures of properties is, is doing well and holding up. And in a lot of cases there, the, the sort of the thought, and there's no basis of this, is that people stuck in homes are now in the position to really analyze what they want from their home. 
And it sounds yep. a bizarre thing, but for once, all the families are in one place and, oh God, this is actually a bit small for us, isn't it? And, and you're, you know, I'd love to live somewhere bigger or with a garden because I just, you know, what can I do? I've got nothing. I can't, I can't move. Right. Need vegetables. <laughs> need to grow my own vegetables <laughs> for the next pandemic. <laughs> but that, but that's the irony of this situation, which is it is making people and forcing people to look at their perspectives and say, well, what do I need? So there is an aspect from the, from the portal side, which is saying, we uh, we definitely need to reflect on where we're going. So I think they're quite happy. But there is a significant pushback from the real estate industry to portals, which ultimately, let's be honest, portals are a little bit like crack cocaine for the real estate industry on the mm-hmm. resi side, which is they, they don't want to have to be dependent on the portals, but they are. Mm. And you know what? Some of the portals have made huge, huge mistakes over here is that they are initially they they didn't really do anything to help out their agents they just kept on with payments they might have set up deferred payment schemes which got absolutely slammed um so we started to have a little bit of a portal war mm-hmm. in the uk in this time in, in particular where you know the sort of the second and the third place portal made a very very big run on on the first place one by saying look we're just not going to charge you for x period of time or we're going to give you a 30 percent discount for x period of time and so there's been a really interesting dynamic, uh, sort of making this a little bit shorter than me, just waffling on about it, um, in terms of the agents pushing back to the portals and just saying, Do you know what, we don't need you. We, you know, you're not going to give us anything at the minute because nobody is buying. We're just cutting all of our subscriptions. Right. So there is, so, um, th- there's an interesting move there for sure. So the UK portal business model is the is the advertising slash listing subscription model. It's not the lead generation model like the US have. Um, it's it's a mixture, really. Uh, there, there's so many convoluted ways of, of sort of working on on the, the uh, subscription modelling. But you know, one thing is for sure: every single year, without fail, the pricing for all portal um, subscriptions <laughs> for members to list a number of properties, and there are other ancillary, um, you know, ways of lead generation and advertising and all this sort of stuff. Which you know, there's no one size fits all in our portal markets. Uh, but the only thing that is a definite constant is prices keep on going up every single year, which is why it's like heroin. The yep. agents cannot afford to leave. Yep. But they're now at the point of saying this is the protagonist for us to ask questions. They still won't leave because at the minute there isn't necessarily a viable alternative. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, the traditional real estate market is now in that position where they are taking time to reflect on their business models and saying, what do we need to change? to make ourselves a viable business because at the minute we're not. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I suspect, um, well, I can see similar rumblings happening back here as well. Let's just pause there for a moment and hear a quick word from our sponsors. As a real estate agent, you know you need to be doing more content marketing, but creating posts for social media, creating videos and reports is hard work, lots of hard work, and it takes time. So that's why you need Homeprezzo. If you're a typical agent posting one or two social media posts a week, Homeprezzo can save you between 75 to 100 hours a year. How many more properties could you sell if you had that time back? Homeprezzo can help you create engaging, informative videos about how the property market in your local suburb is performing. Plus it makes creating suburb reports, rental videos for landlords and social media infographics an absolute piece of cake. If you can type in a suburb, or type an address, you can create a Prezzo using Home Prezzo in just a few minutes. 
Listeners to the PropTech podcast receive a 14-day free trial. Now that's twice as long as the normal free trial. So go to homeprezo.com.au and click the sign up button and use the code PropTech to get your extended free trial or click the link in our show notes. So, so let's talk about funding. We sort of touched on it a little bit before. How do you think the pandemic and what's going on now is going to affect VC funding for PropTech? Um, I, I, there's no question it's going to drop. Yep. Um, and, and I think, let me just say, I think there's a real difference here between VC funding and other forms like angel funding and family offices and all this sort of stuff. Because I think the VCs, quite rightly, everybody has got their own personal agenda at this time. And this is where, you know, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. So general VCs, which are built on the premise of you're playing with other people's money, yep. it doesn't mean... Uh, I could be speaking out of term here. It doesn't mean as much to them to deploy other people's capital. I think they're going to be focusing on other things. They're just passionate. Um, we're also going to see. Oh, totally. And <laughs> therefore, they're going to look after themselves for a bit. And secondly, I think those who are investing in the market, I'm hearing horror stories of you know desperate founders of tech businesses having valuations absolutely slashed because, oh. quite simply, they are more desperate, and the investors are a dispassionate bunch. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're really starting to see the true capitalist nature of VC funding at the minute. Um, and, and it's it, it's a true sign, I think, that unless you're a business that is generating revenue, um, unless you're a business that has generated product market fit, um, you are going to struggle for a considerable amount of time. And it's not just because you're pre-revenue, but I think it's also the fact that you are coming into a time where so many people will be looking to raise money mm. that the supply and demand challenges, let alone anything else, are going to be completely um, sort of, uh, you know, in a, in a very sort of um, situation which the, 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 the odds are against you as a, as a raising business. Um, mm. I think on a family office and, a, and an angel side, I don't think that's going to change too much. I think there, there has been and there will be a small blip, which is, oh, God, this has happened. And when those angels and the people who's it's actually their money mm. um, that they're deploying, I think that there's going to be this sort of month blip where they get used to the new normal. They then realize that this is now how it is. Yep. And they're in a better position to deploy their own capital. So I don't think that's going to change significantly is my, is my view. And also, maybe may I say corporate money, the corporate VC side. I think is, is stuck somewhere in between the two where, you know, they want to invest in companies which will impact their business and they will probably be a little bit later to deploying capital and they might have to make a slightly bigger use case for why it's going to impact their business. But, you know, like we've already discussed, the real estate industry needs to change. There's no better time to consider it now. Mm. So there's yeah, it's a story of three different groups, I think. Yeah. What do you, you think is going to happen in the commercial space? Do you think this whole working from home is going to lead us all to question why in God's name we all spend so much time on public transport or in cars trying to turn up to an office for a set number of hours a week? And what's, you know, that, and what's that going to do one. to... <laughs> I can't or, call it. I can't or, call... or not wait to get back to work so we can get away from our children. I don't know. <laughs> You laugh, but I think that's quite serious. I do genuinely I know, think I that. And that's why I can't really call it. When, no. Because, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the thought leader in me says, 
this is absolutely what everybody was looking for to justify why flexible working was needed. Yeah. So again, I don't think we're going to see a one size fits all. I think we're going to find some people want to and can work from home. I think we're going to find some people who genuinely, even if they haven't got kids or parents at home who are going to nag them, are going to struggle with the work environment in their home. They just haven't got that discipline to to do it. And I think that's going to struggle. But I, and I do genuinely think there's a particular age gap, probably between the ages, I don't know, of 25 and 55, who just can't do it. Because we're all assuming, and this is, this is the other um, assumption that people are making, that people think that they're well set up to work from home. Yeah. They're, they're probably not going to be because they may not have home computers they can work off of. They yeah. may, in the event of them having a family, they just haven't got a room to spare to work outside of their family environment. Yeah. So there is a real societal thing here, not just on a business level. Are they set up to work from home? Can they work from home with family around them all the time? So I, I don't I can't call this one. I what I do think is that it's going to shake it all up. What I do think is the co-working spaces in the short term are going to really struggle. We've mm. already started to see that. You know, we work are renegotiating their leases, which you know, the stock market has always said will be a critical point. If we work have to renegotiate leases, they're screwed. Um, so I, I do think there's going to be a short-term struggle for co-working. I think long-term, it's more viable. The flexible aspect of, of working, I think, is going to be more viable. Um, and let, let's flip this a little bit on its head in terms of how is this going to impact the work-life balance one of the things that I'm definitely seeing, and I'm fascinated to see it, is not only are we starting to see, and I'm sure you see it as well on LinkedIn uh, in particular, you know, I must have seen hundreds, if not thousands of people posting pictures of matrices of people on webinars, yes. um, you know, almost sort of it, it, saying how proud they are to be able to host meetings with 20 people. You know, that's a passing fad in my view, but it, it does show that a lot of people who are not technology enabled beforehand are now becoming technology enabled. So they're showing that they can work from home or have a more flexible work-life balance and it, and it works. But the other aspect of this, which I'm finding fascinating, not only are we becoming more technology enabled, but we're also becoming more traditionally enabled. You know, we've got in so many people that I'm seeing on my more personal network sort of baking bread and, bake, and making pasta and, mm. you know, doing things that they've never done before, you know, DIY. I think we're upskilling both in technology, but also in tradition, which yeah. is something I wholeheartedly think will improve our work-life balance. I don't think there's a safe banana in Australia at the moment. That's There's a risk of every banana in the country being turned into banana bread. Everyone's baking like buggery. I think you do it for comfort but that's, too, but don't that's you? great though. But that, yeah. yeah, too right. And we do it to pass, you know, in, in the terms of if you're a parent, we do it to pass that knowledge and experience to our children and they will remember this time. Oh, you know, yeah. There is no way about it. And we are in a time now where society can really bring back what it had and not just get used to the status quo of everybody doing everything for you. We're having to become self-sustainable again, mm. again, maybe for the first time. And I, and I think in terms of you know, looking at this from a business commercial perspective, it's going to change things. We will become more flexible. We'll become more adaptable as a society to understanding 
how work is not the defining point of we have to be there at nine and we have to leave at five or six or whatever you leave. Mm. But we're also going to find that adaptability within our um, our home lives and our family lives, which will change. Um, and, I, and I think there'll be an increased importance on, you know, not just a screen time all the time, but, you know, cooking as a family and sitting down as a family, because I hope, and this is a rather idealistic notion, that some, most families have started to enjoy each, each other's company again, because exactly. they've got to that point, which we always try encouraging our kids, which is, you know, let the kids be bored for a period of time, because creativity is a result of that. Mm. And that, I hope, is what's happening as a family, which is bo- they get so bored of each other. They get so bored of fighting, of squabbling, that actually you get back to playing board games and you get back to baking, <laughs> and you get back to eating as a family and not just you know sitting in front of the black mirror of a screen in front of us and just getting absorbed by it. So there's an idealistic notion to that, but there's also quite a, um, hopefully, a realistic output that we all have as a society. Mm. And I think what's going on at the moment too is this, return to the idea of the safety of home isn't it too and and how you know home is where the heart is and just and that when the world is going crazy you need to be home or be with the people that you love and um and try and cocoon yourself against it rather than where our lives were going which was constantly external out 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 all the time yeah interesting so, so what do you reckon the next, well, what does the next five days hold for PropTech or the, or the real estate industry? But what do you reckon the next five years, what's on the, on the horizon once or getting through this? What do you think's on the horizon? I, I think it's a very simple answer. I think it's, uh, you know, there won't be such a thing as PropTech. Um, you know, really what we should all be doing and, and you guys with the association in Australia you know, we should be getting to a point where prop tech isn't a thing. It's just a more technology-enabled real estate business. Yeah. Um, you know, and technology is an integral part of that. And really, we should be looking for a seamless integration of technology and work practices and methodologies to, you know, it's just a more efficient property business. That's it. It's the end of us and them. Us and them. Totally. It, well, yeah. I, don't, I think this is this is beginning to open up that opportunity that there isn't a them and us it is a, mm. we're all in this together and we're all trying to help each other yeah um, christ i'm idealistic but um, <laughs> it's terrible isn't it um but yeah you know there, there, there shouldn't be such a distinction between that yeah you know we need to realize that this is digital transformation yes. and that we've got different minds trying to save the, so, the same problems some will fail some will work but this is the time for the, the traditional industry simply to try to understand these new business models because that will be a part of their working life in the you know over the next five years for sure. Absolutely. And so, what does the future hold for Unisu? What's on your radar? Oh God knows. Who knows? Who knows what happens? But you know, I suppose in 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 some sense, let's lose a, use a bit of marketing speak here. You know, on the very top of the funnel for us. You know, we want to try and educate every single property professional around the world with our Connect series, you know, working in collaboration with people um, all over the world to record the very best educative content uh, that will try and ensure that every single real estate professional around the world watches at least one of our videos. You know, because if they are more engaged and more educated in this sector, then it's going to help them. So I think top of the funnel, it's about education, bottom of the funnel. For us, it's very much about helping um, every single property company around the world procure the right solution for them. 
um, you know, and rather than making mistake and an expensive mistake in some cases and just jump on the bandwagon of prop tech and because somebody's knocking on their door, they adopt their solution. You know, we want to make sure that we can help them with their particular problem to find the exact solution for them. So, you know, they're, they're the sort of the, the, the top level thoughts uh, for me in terms of, you know, what can Unisu do for the industry and what can we do for partners all around the world? Um, personally, I just hope I can pay my bills next month. <laughs> yes. I, I, it's as I, simple as that. It's end of quarter here in Australia and uh, and it's an end of a tax quarter, so I made sure I paid everything today and um and you know sucked up <laughs> sucked it in and went oh okay better get it all done and then uh, made sure the mortgages were covered and and felt good after it um and and also said a little prayer to the money god that it happens again next month but james so oh man i need i need i need a money god that'd be great <laughs> i want one of them yeah we've got yeah, yeah. to have this money tree in our society at the minute with all the, um, the sort of the politicians and political parties managing to giving it a good shake money from, from anywhere. <laughs> oh man! And I tell you what, though, Carly, that it worries me because you know the inevitable is the fact that if they can pay out these trillions of dollars, which is going to happen, and bail out everybody, you know, we're in a, we're in for a tough time. But yes. us technologists need to realise that it's generally during recessions that alternatives to the status quo are adopted. So you know, this is the time for technology to to be the winner. I think. Yeah, to lean in. I hope. Well, um, James, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. We've been going for nearly an hour now, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> we are gonna bore the people on your podcast rigid. No, I'm sure that I'm sure they've found it fascinating. Thank you so much. And hopefully when all of this is over, we'll see you back in Australia for a beer. Oh man, I, I want to. I wanna be out in September again. So that was James Deasley, co-founder of Unisu, and I really loved having that conversation with him. It really cheered me up after a couple of absolutely insane days. Now, James has made some great observations about the way PropTech is likely to be affected by the virus and how it's going to change funding and impact especially on startups. But I especially loved his observations around how COVID-19 is changing our appreciation of home and how it's helping us to reconnect to what's important. And I really love his vision to democratise sharing information around prop tech. And personally, I love taking part in Connect, even if it did traumatise me slightly. So check out the Connect presentations. The links are included in the show notes below. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode of the PropTech podcast, I would love you to tell your friends or drop me a line either via email, LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can follow the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor and Apple iTunes. And I think we're a few other spots too now. I'd like to thank my audio support, Charlie Hollands and the fabulous Jill Escudero and our sponsors, Smidge Wines, proud to be the official wine of Australian PropTech and Homeprezzo, turning your data into amazing marketing content, which has never been more important in these days of social isolation. So thanks everyone so much. Until next week, stay safe and keep on prop checking.